now I'm in front of you, and you're good, Roy. She remembers. You can it. see I me. I can scoot it over all we want to. <clears throat> I won't be able to see if you're sleeping, huh? That's, right. <clears throat> That's better there. Contemplating. That's what Carl does. I used to tell my pastor that. I said, I know my eyes are shut, but I'm just meditating on what you're saying. So don't worry about that. Hi, Linda Addison. Good to see you here. You're the first in church today. <clears throat> How did that come on? <laughs> what happened? That's weird. Put the news behind me. All right, we're going to start. So we're continuing our studying on unveiling the book of Romans to reveal the beauty of Jesus' gospel. So we've been doing that for quite a while. Uh, I hope I don't sound like what I sound to myself. I sound like I'm just all stopped up. Do I sound okay? Yeah, I can think it's just the way I hear myself. But uh, I hope that you're enjoying uh, what we're going to. I am. Uh, I like studying this way when, like I've told people before, uh, I read scripture and then I wait for the light of revelation to shine on sometimes. Sometimes it's a whole sentence. Sometimes it's a subject. Sometimes it's just one word that shows up. And so when I started writing this yesterday, I was reading Romans 7, 5 through 8. That's where we're going to go from today. And the word appeasement popped up twice. And it's just I, I really believe more and more people need to understand about is our father a God of appeasement? And of course, we know the answer already, but most people don't. I didn't. Uh, I, uh, I'm 72 years old and I grew up in church. I was born in church. And the fact is, I never, ever remember walking the aisle and getting saved, ever. I guess I just didn't think I needed to. My daddy was a pastor, and I was born in church, and that's just the way it was. So I never got, I got saved. No, I did not. I never did. I never did. Ushers, would y'all tell her to be quiet, please? <laughs> so, Carl, I'm appointing you to be an usher today, or from now on, so you can... <laughs> no, but uh, Rita says she doesn't have any volume. Does anybody else hear? Because I do have it plugged in. So it could be your computer, Rita. Uh, if somebody else is watching this and you can't hear it, let me know real quick. So, But as I was saying, uh, I, I never had a time in my whole life in church where I didn't think I needed to do something to make God happy. And all the sermons were, were laced with that. No matter what it was, there's always something that I was always falling short on. Whether it be sinning or giving or serving or praying enough, the list can go on and on and on. And so I was taught in a sense to kind of fear God. And the Bible says to fear quite often, fear God. But if you look that up, it means rever a reverence father. It doesn't mean to fear God. But the whole Bible was translated that way to produce a fear and to produce this belief system that we need to do something to appease Father. Even in the ancient books, the old Outlook books uh, in Genesis and all through uh, the, the Pentateuch, we see all these laws and all these rules and everything that you had to do something to appease Father. And so this is very important for people to hear this. And we need to get this down ourselves so we can explain to our friends. And I know some of you have friends that are afraid of God. You do, Norma, and you've told us about it, and I know all of you do. And we are their messengers. We're in their life. You know, if you're a messenger, you're a messenger to people that you're in their life. I'm more a messenger to you than I am to people on the other side of the world. But I, but I, get, to, I get to speak to them. I get to help them. But we need to be able to sit down and show them in Scripture where Abraham was uh, affected by where he grew up and, and Moses was affected by where he grew up and we were affected by where we grew up. Grew up. And that's why we believe most of us what we do today. And even we, even we can say we don't believe it anymore, but it's still in there. And it still comes to your thoughts. And, you, and I can tell you, for many years, I struggled because we never had a really large congregation. The majority didn't want to hear what I taught. But I would hear those voices that say, well, it's because you're eating too much ice cream. 
that's all I talk about. <laughs> you thought I was going to tell you something good, didn't you? <laughs> but, it, but haven't you ever heard that voice? You know, you're, this is happening because. And how many times have people said, my, my child died because, or I lost my job because, and it's always God is mad at me. And I love what uh, Justin Phillips years ago in, in Tennessee, he put a sign up by his, a, a, a big billboard. He paid for a big billboard and said, God is not mad at you. And almost every church system in that city turned against him because they didn't want that to happen. So we did it too. We loved it. So I've got a banner and we put it up. And you, you'll think this is really funny. About two days later, some person got a big cardboard box and said, God is mad as hell at you and put all the Old Testament scriptures on it. <laughs> it made him mad. And a big old storm came in the next day and washed that thing down and ended up laying in front of our church. It was really funny. <laughs> but, but it is not funny that, pe that people think that God is mad at you. And if you have a pastor that thinks that or a denomination that thinks that, you're going to have a tough life. And you're never going to be able to do enough R right True. and i'm gonna point it out to you here in a little bit but in 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 uh, the beginning of moses's really ministry he took 10 commandments from mythological teaching and paganistic teaching and he projected it on father and then he said father did this and he came up with 10 commandments and they added to it and they added to it and they added to it and i'll tell you how many laws there are I think it's somewhere around 600 laws, Jewish laws. So let's read. <clears throat> and this is, if you're new on here, hi, Frank. This is my translation of the book of Romans. And I copied this for you to print out on Facebook. So if you want to print this out or you can order your own book, you can go to my webpage, drroyerichman.com, and find links to go to my publishing, our printing company. So Romans 7, verse 5. Previously, this is Paul talking to the people at Rome and writing a letter to him, if you would. Previously, we offered, we offered those bloody and dead animal sacrifices and money because we thought we had to appease our father. We did it because it was all required by Moses' law. The hardship and pain of repeatedly offering those things showed forth in us by manifesting a sense of more adversity, lack, and poverty because we did not honestly know our father. The fruit of those dead works produced a perpetual lack in our lives. It's a sense of lack. But if you have a sense of lack, you're going to lack, right? And we became dead to living out of our spirit. Verse 6, now because of what Jesus revealed to us, we know our Father never instigated the demanding system of the law, nor did it have any authority over our lives. Knowing this truth, we can be free. And see, Jesus said this truth, which is the not concealed truth, will make you free. That means experience freedom. So the law is dead, and its, its lies can no longer hold us down. We thought it was the truth, but it was not. With even greater passion than we had for Moses' law, we should now volunteer out of our holy breath, out of our entire being, our life source within, to entirely join our awareness toward Father and His love. We should no longer view our Father from the ancient, skewed, wrongly perceived writings. Those views are seen through the murky understanding of the knowledge of good and bad, which brought us an abundance of death. If you notice, I always put bad instead of evil because there was no such word as evil in the Hebrew. It was bad. That the Catholic religion wanted that word evil to make you feel like you're evil. You know, so I, I told somebody on a post yesterday, they were talking about that their child has been bad, so Santa's going to bring out a coal. And I wrote on there, I said, no one is bad they just mistakenly do bad things, but they're not bad, right? So verse 7, what now? Shall we continue to speak of, our, uh, of or enforce any command of the Mosaic law? I forbid. The continual offering of bloody animal sacrifices and giving our possessions to the Father, who has mistakenly thought, is mistakenly thought that needed appeasing, was a catalytic agent for our continual false sense of lack. It causes us to set our conscious thoughts on a continual lie. It forces us to believe that we were in constant need when all along we had everything. If I hadn't sought to obey the law, which said I should not covet, I would not be living with a sense of needing more. I would not have known any sense of lack. And if you remember the Bible, I think it's Paul talked about that 
the law was the force of missing the mark, right? So verse 8, the starting point for death to the knowledge of Father was produced in my previous life as a resulting of seeking the law of righteousness. I embraced the sacrificial system that came from the false authority of the Mosaic law. When I started following those hundreds upon hundreds of due-to-be laws, it formed me, formed in me a longing for that which the law outlawed. Isn't that true? Every time somebody gets up and says, don't eat ice cream, don't eat ice cream, don't eat ice cream, don't eat ice cream, What's, what are you going to do that week? Don't eat ice cream. You're going to eat ice cream. I've told people many times at Destiny Life Center when we pastored there, I wanted to show them an example of this. So one Sunday morning, I got up and I preached against ice cream. And I asked people, you know, before, do you, any of you have a real problem with ice cream? And very few people raised their hands. And so for a month, every time I preached, I said, remember, it, thou shalt not eat ice cream. It's wrong to eat ice cream. Well, the end of that month, I asked for the show of hands, how many people are struggling now eating ice cream? And almost everybody raised their hands up <laughs> because I planted it into their conscious awareness. And that's what the law does, Right. We went to a church uh, a youth camp once, and we didn't know they were going to do this, but they taught on uh, sex as a sin. And they taught it and taught it and taught it, and most of those children weren't even awake to it yet. And what we thought was really sad was during that time, they caught the uh, pastor's grandson making out with somebody behind a shed. <laughs> but what did it do? It stirred it up with inside of them. So he says, for where... Where there are no due-to-be laws, there is no offering of anything to appease our Father. Yeah. Right? Yes. Who told you that? Who told you you had to give to satisfy God? Amen. It wasn't God. So that false need is dead. There never was a need to appease our Father. So in those four verses of Romans 7, we find Paul explaining there was uh, never a legit need to practice any act of appeasement to Father. The word appease, I looked it up, means to soothe or satisfy somebody by assenting to their demands. And that's what we thought. It would soothe Father's heart for us. It would satisfy. And then we got the idea that Jesus was going to do it for us, right? And so, sadly, very few biblical teachings or sermons do not, do not supposedly include an order by the Father for an offering of appeasement. Like I said, almost every sermon I've ever heard has something like that. If they didn't preach it, they took offering. And they explained to you, if you gave your 10%, you would be blessed. So right there was an appeasement. And I gave my 10% many times and I, I still couldn't pay my bills. I still struggled, right? And I heard all kinds of stories about people that refused to tithe and they lost all they had. Uh, they had a car wreck or whatever. And we had one lady that her baby died in a car wreck. And she told me the reason this happened is because I haven't been paying my tithe. Where did that come from? Did it come from God? No, it came from people that believed that God needed appeasement. And I would hate to be a pastor and represent my father like that, that if you don't give your tithe, God's going to take your child from you. That people that are sitting there need to get up and walk out. They really do. But you know what? They're used to it. And I hear people say all the time, amen. And what that means is, that, well, I'm paying my tithe and I'm doing just fine. Well, it's not because you're giving money. Okay, so sadly, very few people understand that. And those teachings and sermons falsely represent our one and only true Father because Father does not need appeasement. Father is nothing but love and love needs nothing given to it. I've explained this the last few weeks that agape love means love without a because. I don't love Donna because she does anything for me. I just love her. You know, when I met her, she was 20, how old? No, you were 18, 19 years old. 16. Okay, 16. Well, don't tell everybody that. <laughs> when I met her, she was 16 years old and she was just a drop dead gorgeous young girl you know but as we get older we begin to change and i still think she's gorgeous but she's not that 16 year old girl but if i loved her because she was that 16 year old girl and then that went away then that love can go away too yeah. right ugly. you what'd you say <laughs> what did you say, I, say I, got ugly. I did not say that <laughs> i did not say that you're just not 16 anymore. Just old. <laughs> Nor are you. Yes. So, 
<laughs> so I believe the sin that so easily besets us is thinking that we must give something to Father to please Father. Because sin means to miss the mark. You know, there's not sins, but sin. It's a mistaken identity. And so we can have a mistaken identity of ourselves, but we definitely have had a mistaken identity of our Father. And we still don't know for sure where we can really articulate who Father is. The Bible says Father is spirit, but when I look it up, it says Father is holy breath. So Father is not a physical being, except for in us and through us. Father manifests himself through us. So Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So, of course, we know mankind's identity is, is, is messed up. And uh, it first came from needing to appease God because that enforced an identity that I'm not worthy, that I'm not good, or I'm not, I can't follow the rules. And so some people said, I'm just going to leave the church, and they did. Now, in First Chronicles 4.16, I'm not going to read from there, but... There was a name named a man named Ishbal, I-S-H-B-A-H. His name in the Hebrew means father will tell the story, father will glorify, father will soothe, father will appease, and father will still. See, this, this is something father will do, right? It's, and that's what father shows us through lots of people's names, is father's uh, uh, nature and father's character and then many times father shows us our nature and our character which are the same right so isbal was the father of estima of the tribe of judah and a, a symbolic meeting of is, uh, isbal would be when we know the true character and we know the true nature of the father we can tell the story the true story and that's what the word praise means when you really study the word worship and praise Worship means to ascertain and seek and desire to know, and the praise means to tell the story. Like if you were praising me to somebody, you were telling my story. You would say, you've got to meet this man. He's the most awesome artist you've ever seen in your life. You know, let's tell him the story. <laughs> but that, that's what it means. So literally, this, we, once we are soothed in our thinking process, if you would, and, and we, we receive that still, quiet uh, attitude with inside of us, then we can know God. We can know Father for who Father really is, and then we can tell that story. And Father helps us with that. All we need to do is ascertain and seek and desire to know, which means seek Father in spirit and truth, because that's what uh, uh, John said. I think it was John. The Father seeks those who worship, which means ascertain, seeks, and desires to know Father in spirit and truth. Not just the letter of the word, because if you go to the letter of the word, you're going to think God needs appeasement, right? And so I don't throw my Bible away. I, I, I'm very sad about the people that say they're throwing their Bibles away. They don't want anything to do with Jesus, want any, nothing to do with anybody. Well, the truth is you're really not going to wake up to who you are. And you're not going to be able to help other people. To me, that's selfish. Because we're here to help other people. We're, we're supposed to be chairmen, cherubims where we bless people. So this meaning is important to us. And... It helps us to understand this because the activity of our holy breath or in our spirit, if you want to say spirit, when it's released into our consciousness, it quickly releases this calm and quiet state of awareness. Have you ever had an experience with Father, just a real experience where you feel the Father's presence in you because that's where Father's presence is? Doesn't it kind of calm you down and it quiets you? You know, Donna is still a prayer warrior, but in past times she was one of the, you know, she would pray, she would intercede and, and pray with the knowledge that we had. But after she got done, she felt calm because it released a burden that she had. Because the end result was always Father is there and Father's taking care of things. But see, Father doesn't take care of things today like I say, Father, I need you to do something. Father took care of me from the foundation of the world. And that's what we've got to understand because we're praying amiss. If we're saying, Father, heal me, if that's where you're at, go ahead and do it. God meets people where you're at. But if you just get a healing, you're going to need another healing, another healing, another healing. If you need a financial miracle, I promise you I can attest to that. You're going to need another financial miracle. So we want that which is permanent. And that which is permanent, the scripture says, Father has provided for us already all things that pertain to spiritual life and all things that pertain to physical life. We have all the money we'll ever need. We have all the health that we'll ever need. 
We have all the peace that we'll ever need. Whatever it is we think we need, we have it already. And that's why we need to get into this no-need consciousness. But again, if you think you have to appease God, then you think you lack all the time. So uh, I'm broke. I don't have enough money. What can I do, Pastor? Oh, give 10% of your money. And not just what you take home, but 10% of your, your gross amount. Right? That's what we were taught. 10% of your gross amount. And uh, then I believed a lie. And I'm not against giving. But Paul said, give hilariously out of the abundance of your awareness. Not because there's a need, not, re- not, not uh, regrettingly, I mean, like, I don't really want to give, but give out of the abundance of your awareness. And your awareness is controlled by the Spirit of Father. So when I give, I give what I hear to give. I listen. I don't let a pastor or a teacher or anybody else make me feel like I've got to give a $100 bill if I don't have a $100 bill. But I'm telling you, when I walk through life, I hear, give that person $50. I hear, give that person $20. I hear often, give that person 100 Donna knows that if I carry a lot of money with me, it's going to go, so I have to be careful. <laughs> but I love to give. I love walking into Walmart and looking for people and, sent, and listening to the Spirit of God say, bless that person. The other day, there was a young lady there, and I just heard she didn't have enough money for Thanksgiving turkey, so I gave her $25 and said, here, go buy you a turkey for Thanksgiving. And she just looked at me and said, I needed that. I said, I know you needed it. But you can listen, and you give because of that, and that's much more fun, right? That's why Jesus said it's better to give than to receive, and we were always taught to do something to receive. So if if you think you lack something, give out of that. And you'll find out there's a, ne- there's a never-ending supply. But don't give to get. Okay? <clears throat> so, there's only one verse in the Bible where the word appease is used. Can you imagine that? I went and, and searched it. There's only one place where the word appease is used. And it's in Genesis 32:20, And the term is used in the phrase, I will appease him. And this is where Jacob was on his journey. And he had heard that he's going to run into Esau. And Jacob and Esau had had some problems. And so Jacob was coming up with some ideas of things that he was going to do because he wanted to soothe his brother, right? He, he didn't want to have a battle with him or be killed by him or whatever. So I want to point out that the meaning of the phrase, I will appease him, the first part of that is I will. And it's the Old Testament number 6444. And it's the word uh, Paunim. And it's pronounced P, I mean, it's spelled P-A-N-I-Y-M. And it means the plural, but always a singular noun. Remember Hosea said we shall live in his sight, and that's, that's that same word. So we live as the plural of God. That's what that means there. And so panim also means the face of, used here as a person. So panim is the same word used when Hosea said that. So we are the plural of Father, hence we're not two we're one. So Father literally, uh, uh, if you want to use the word appease, but Father calms us. It, it's calming to know that I am one with Father God, right? Yeah. It brings that all to me. It's not something I have to do. It's something I have to know. And so the second part of the phrase used for I will appease him is kafar, K-A-P-H-A-R, and it means to cover, so literally, Father covered us from the beginning. Father provided for us from the beginning. I, he doesn't have to do anything for me today. You, you know that? That's hard for people because people are always praying for Jesus to do something. Somebody wrote the other day that Jesus did something for me. Oh, Jesus brought me back from the dead when I died. No, Jesus didn't do that. The life of, uh, life of God in me quickened me and brought me back. And so it means to cover. So those who control the Bible translation, they change those words to appease. And they also said it means make atonement, forgive, disannul, forgive, be merciful, pardon, purge, and much more. And it did not mean that whatsoever. You know, do you have a Strong's Concordance? So when you look up a word in Strong's or other places, it'll tell you the meaning, but then they add all that other stuff to them. And it says KJV. So the King James Version would be purge, forgive, but that's not what that word means. And if you're going to study that way, you need to understand that because there's a lot of people that say they want to translate the Bible and they'll use those words just like other people have to make other versions and it's still wrong. 
it still enforces penal substitution. So none of these were, uh, are, or never will be something Father needed for mankind. And how can I boldly say that? Because Father said, I declare the end from the beginning. I see the end from the beginning. What does that mean? He sees you today the way he, seen mankind, he saw mankind when he created us. He's like a good father. You know, I see, I see my adult children just the way I did when they first come out of Donna. Precious and holy and loving no matter what they do. And some of my children sometimes believe th things that I don't believe, but I still see them holy. My baby grandkids can act up, but that's my baby. Now, when somebody else sees them at Walmart, it's not their child, so what are they doing? Oh, why don't they beat that child? You know, why don't they do something? They look at them and very disdain them, and they don't understand that that's my child. And don't touch my child. And that's, that's what the pastors, the pastors, and male or female, need to understand is you need to see people through the eyes of God. Because if not, you beat them up. You punish them. You, with, you don't allow them to, to minister themselves because you see something that you think is unholy. You think, that you think it's wrong in them. So I declare and I see the end for the beginning means sees all creation holy. And that's why when you really wake up to who you are, everything you see is beautiful. I see art everywhere. Because I'm painting, it's got my attention. I ask people if I can take a picture of their clothes because I want to take that color mixture and make a painting because it looks awesome. I see arts in, in rocks. Carl and I, there's two rocks out in my yard that we, we see art in. It. One of them's got a perfect Indian's head in it looking out. And the one you saw is, what is it, a hedgehog? Huh? A fish. Oh, a fish. You know, but if, if you have eyes to see, you can see beauty. But if you're not looking through your spiritual eye, then what do you see? Gloom, doom, and despair. And it's a judgmental thing. <clears throat> so the only, only we need to change our perspective, that's it. I don't need to appease God. I don't need to do anything to please God. I need to change my perspective. I need to see the way Father sees. But if people aren't taught how Father sees, then we can't do that. So in my, dis uh, my studies, I discovered another man in the old Outlook books, and his name is Shachil. It's spelled S-H-A-C-H-I-A, pronounced Shachil. And Shachil's name in the Hebrew means with jaw, the fame of jaw, which we know is Jehovah, and jaw protected. With God, the fame of God, and jaw protected. So we find again a name that means covered with father. Father protects. When did Father protect us? From creation, from the foundation of the world. You know, when we gave birth to children, everything that we had was theirs. My finances I had, they were protected because I could pay for their food. I could pay for whatever they need of. I had it. They didn't have to say, what do I have to do, Daddy, to earn a meal? What do I have to do to be able to live in this house and do whatever I want? You don't. You're my child. You belong to me. It's all yours. Everything that I have is yours. And still to this day, my children, I, all that I have is theirs. I just don't let them know that too much because some might make... <laughs> a couple of them might believe it, right? <laughs> it's theirs after I die. <laughs> but no, it is theirs. My children know they can walk in. They can open up the refrigerator. Anna and Carl's close to Norma, close enough to us that they can walk in any room of our house. They can open up the refrigerator. They can get some coffee. They don't have to say, may I have some coffee, right? right. We don't have to do that in your house. So, so we find again a name that means covered with Father, Father protects, as in Father put in us at creation, at the foundation, everything that we need to live. And I was taught to seek God for what I needed now. And there's a God up there that will answer my prayers. But the problem is, how many of your prayers were answered, honestly? Sometimes it was met, and I believe sometimes that means we, we tapped in to what was ours already. Our faith was built up and we tapped in and we saw it, but we didn't stay there. Because we thought, well, if I need something else, I'm gonna have to pray and ask God to do it again. But, but the thing about it is, how many people prayed and asked and nothing happened? And I used an example of a tornado. We, there was a, a, a tornado here, here several years here, and a neighborhood about a mile from here was leveled. And several homes, the people were killed. But this one home, 
They weren't, and their house wasn't hit, and they told the news media that we prayed and God protected us, and that broke my heart. I never say that. I, 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 I never say that, because what about those other people that were praying and asking God to help them? So it's, it comes, yes, go ahead, speak loud, though. When people pray for something and it doesn't happen, we are told it was God's will. That's God's will, so, the sovereignty of God. Yeah, I hear that all the time. We don't know why God took your child, but it's the sovereignty of God, and that's supposed to bring me peace, and it doesn't. Right. So, again, allegorically, this word S-H-A-C-H-I-A means a sense of quietness, peace, harmony, and protection through contact with the divine mind. So where's our protection at? Is it out there somewhere? No, we have the mind of God. The Bible says we have an unction of the Holy One and we know all things. And the word unction means contact. And the Holy One is Father or it's the divine mind. So we have contact with our divine mind and we know all things. If you know all things, that gives you protection, right? If you can be aware and hear a voice that says you need to slow down, you don't know why you need to slow down, but you need to slow down. And about three or four blocks down the road, there was a wreck that happened. And if you didn't slow down, you would have been in that wreck. There's all kinds of examples where people have heard that, right? Brother Garner told a story once about listening to Father, and uh, he heard Father, he was driving, and he heard Father say, there's going to be a tractor in front of you. And uh, Brother Garner was looking for an 18-wheeler. And he just said, there was nothing, Father. And Father just spoke to him, said there was a tractor out in the field. So, you know, it, it's, you, you've got to learn to hear properly instead of hear amiss. You know, sometimes we hear Father is going to do something in our life, and we think it's right now, and it's not right now. So we have to wait, wait on the Father. And so we can say, I exist as the plural of Jah, our Jehovah, our Father, and I'm protected by Father. And I'm protected. What do you mean you're protected by Father? Father's put in me everything that I need. And knowledge and knowing is powerful if you use it. If you know the truth. The Bible says he gives his messengers or angels charge over you. That's me. That's other people that are grinding out the word and teaching the truth. And if you listen, if you obey, which means listen with intelligence, you pay attention, that will protect you. It will protect you from a lot. What I have learned has protected me tremendously. It's freed me from being afraid of Father. It's freed me been afraid of what will happen when I die because there's a lot of Christians that are afraid to die. They're scared to death and literally scared to death. I know some that's taken their life, but I thought, well, if you're afraid to die and then you took your life, but it messed them up big time. So this happens, this, this, this covering, this quiet, this still uh, conception is conception. It's from his presence inside and out of you. God is everywhere. Father is in every living thing. Father created every living thing. The Father is in everything that breathes. Everything. Because it's holy breath. And so if Father is a creator, what are we? I, I said this last week. We are creators. Now we don't create any, anything that Father hasn't created. But Father's created, creation came from his ideas. And I don't like to use the word his, but we don't know what else to say. But Father's ideas... And that Father's ideas are placed in us, and every one of us has a purpose for creating one thing or another. And we, being an artist is creating. When I started painting, I never dreamed in my life I could paint like I paint. It, it soothes me. It helps me. When I'm sick and I'm not feeling good and I have pain, I go paint and I ignore that. And it just it calms me down, if you would. And, and, and it calms some other people down, evidently, because a lot of people have bought them. But there is something within inside of us that we can do that is creative and it helps you and it helps other people. So this realization does much to acquaint us with the inner divine presence and the power of God. That's what people need to meet. They don't need to come to church to get saved. They need to be introduced to their father. Yes, amen. Come, let me tell you who this is that you're seeking. Yes. <laughs> and you don't have to look very far. And you don't have to do anything to have fellowship with Father because Father abides inside of you. And very few people 
in the Christian community or others can really tell you who God is because they don't know, that they're not sure. So Father has done the appeasement work in us. Father glorified us. Father soothed us. Father makes us calm. Father keeps us quiet when we stay in this conscious awareness of the divine mind, when we listen to Father. When Paul said, think on these things, you know, and we, we have thought on too many things and we have to calm our thoughts and we have to take our thoughts captive, whatever it might be, and, and speak the truth over them. Last night, I found myself in bed. I was just about to fall asleep and I just began to pray and I wish I could have wrote it down, but I prayed this most awesome prayer and it just kept going and kept going. And it was a Thanksgiving prayer uh, for all kinds of things. And I finally said, amen. <laughs> <laughs> I needed to go to sleep, but it just kept flowing. And I believe it was the breath of God praying over me and strengthening me and giving me understanding, giving me wisdom, giving me knowledge. So we honor our indwelling father. And that's what the fame of jaw is or the fame of father. We honor father. And this protection, peace and soothing and stillness of life was given to us from eternity. And it's ours for infinity, if you would, forever. It's never ending, but we've got to know it's there. Just like money is never ending. I'll never run out of money, ever. I know that. Father told me that in 1990, 1996. And I won't go through the story again, but if I just give my entire life to him and trust him, I'll never lack for money the rest of my life. And have we ever lacked, Donna? And in the natural, you would think these people aren't going to make it, but we've never lacked for money because we don't believe we have to have millions of dollars to make it. And not until we sold a couple of rent houses and paid a mortgage off. We've had more money in our bank now because of that. But that's not my supply. Now, Donna worries that I'm going to spend it and she won't put it in the check balance. But she doesn't know. I can look on the computer. <laughs> I asked her that the other day. I said, why don't you just put that in the balance? And she said, because you'll spend it. I said, I know it's there. <laughs> she doesn't trust me. But we always have protection. We always have protection. And when I say that, I'm not saying that it's something God's going to do right now. It's something God did from the foundation of the world. You don't have to appease Father. You're always blessed. You're always holy. And there's nothing can separate you from God's love. Oh, yeah, he loves you. But no, there's no but to it. Father loves me more than you could ever love me. And I know my friends love me. I have friends that would do, and they do do almost anything for us. They bless us tremendously. And it's not because we've done anything for them. It's because they love us. And I feel the same way towards other people. And, and it's, it's good. It is truly better to give than to receive. Because when you give, what you do is you allow your supply to begin to flow through you. Because what good is it to say, I have all the money I'll ever need if I'm not blessing other people and helping other people? I'm not asking for offerings. I'm not telling you what you, I'm just saying you need to have that attitude that I'm not giving to get back. I'm giving because I'm a giver. I'm a giver. So we always have that protection. So our need then is to be aware of what belongs to us. What belongs to me? Peace. Yes, amen. A quiet spirit. A calmness. That means I have no, no anxiety, Carl, can take me down. There's just a knowing. And same with me. I have things I go to. You, you don't think I'm afraid to go to sleep sometimes? I'm telling you that first month after I died those two times, I was terrified to go to sleep. And I, I, I'm aware of my heart beating now because it beats really hard. I'm more aware now than I ever was. And I just keep speaking to that. I say, Father... You are my peace. You are my comfort. But, but it's there. We all struggle with different things. But this knowing can be expressed to us. This embracing these truths causes a realizing and experience of all dominion and all good being expressed and manifested through us as one. Because whatever Father is, we are. And that's why they killed Jesus. They killed Jesus because he said he was a son of God. He didn't say he was the son of God. 
you know, where they translated that he was the son of God or he was the only son. of. He didn't say that. He said he was a son of God and they didn't want anybody knowing that they were sons of God, which is no gender there whatsoever. So all the man created religions of this world from the beginning to the present have created their own gods. And I have a lot of old ancient books that I study in. There's all kinds of mythological gods and almost every one of them died and then came back. You know, so all of them has this and that they had that God was always a God of appeasement. They had to offer their babies. They had to offer themselves uh, uh, animals, money, treasures, food, time, talent, all kinds of possessions. And I'll never forget getting up teaching a sermon once that we owe God our, our time, our treasure and our talent. That's not true. That's not true. I give my time, my treasure, my talent to people to help them not to please God. So these, uh, these appeasements were something that men came up with, men whose breath is in their nostrils. So that means they live out of their sense, the five sense realm. They live in the dust realm. The Philistines were called dust dwellers. They were carnally mindful. So anything else that they can get you to give to supposedly satisfy their version of God, then that's what they teach so you can be blessed, implying that you're not blessed. And I, I like the song Judy wrote a long time ago. Who told you that? We, we need to, every belief that we believe that's hindering us, we need to say, who told you that? If it wasn't Father, then forget it. Amen. It's, it's not true. And as I've told you many times again, I love to give myself. I love to give my time. I love to give my treasure. But I don't give with this desire to get back. I always get more out of what I give than I ever get back. Ever. Jesus said that. He taught it. And he was talking about giving of ourselves. And that's what he did. He gave of himself. He didn't go to the cross for God. And sadly, we were taught that, most people. But if they'll just look, the Jews said, we have a law. He declares himself to be a son of God. It says son of God, but it literally in the Hebrew, Greek it says a son of God. He must die. They hated him with a passion. And I always make this example, and you may, not, you may not like him. If you don't, that's okay. But Donald Trump was a great example of that because he came to reveal the truth. And he came to help America. And the people that were in control did not want to do that. And they hated him because he revealed their lie. And that's why his own party fights him because they're in that mess too. I believe that with all my heart. And that's just kind of a, an example. When people come and they're, they're, they expose the truth, the, the liars want to kill them and they want to get rid of them. And that's happened to me. I mean, I've had people speak bad of me and say, you don't need to listen to that guy or whatever, but that's fine. So I believe you will never be impressed to give any part of your life that you don't already have. Because people say, well, what if I can't afford it? The Spirit of God will never ask you to do anything that you don't have to give. If, if Father asks me to give a $100 bill, then I've got a $100 bill in my pocket. And that's, isn't that how it's always worked, Donna? It's always there. But I've been asked in the past to go borrow money to give to please God. You ever had that happen? And people literally have done that and got in trouble for it. But whatever Father moves, you're already going to have that. You know, they're not going to, God's not going to speak to you to, to give somebody a painting, to paint a picture, because you don't do that. But he will to us, because we have it. We have that ability to paint something. And I've heard, give this to that person, and I give it to them. So the system... I looked this up last night uh, for words and stuff, but this system has taught you to give to get produces what's called a riotous living, R-I-O-T-O-U, a riotous living. And a riotous living symbolizes the soul that's absorbed in the pursuit of objects and things. Do we not see a society full of that today? We, we even see almost weekly groups of people breaking into businesses and stealing everything they can why the public's watching them and nobody's doing anything about it. That's that type of living that takes place. Now, you may never go steal anything, but if that we have all been in that place where we pursue objects. Because if you're giving to get blessed, then you're pursuing money. Right? If you're giving to get a house, then you're, you're, you're interested in getting a house. It's, it's not that you just want to give. 
you know, but I believe people truly do want to give. I believe people sometimes are, they're, they're innocent to that because they've just been taught that all their life. Don and I, when we were young, we wanted a house. Uh, we couldn't afford to buy a house and we, we wanted a house and some things happened and I got hurt in a car wreck and we, they settled for $1,000, which back then in 1972 or something was a lot of money when you have three children. But we both heard to give it towards the church buildings and we will get a house. So I believe Father possibly worked that way. I don't know, but we ended up getting a house. Not too long after that, my brother called and said this new home that he had bought eight months ago, they weren't happy living there. They wanted to go back where they live. Would you like to take over payments? And we did, and we got a house. So Father meets you where you're at. But did we have needs after that? Many times. Because we still lived in that need realm. But there came a, came a time where we didn't live that way anymore. And Father wants us to come, come to that place. I was told if I would give, it would come back a hundredfold. Were you? Yeah. Well, it came back a hundredfold to the people we gave it to, probably. <laughs> so everything that has ever come to us to help us in our life was given to us from the foundation of the world. So very quickly, after 1996, I learned that I never needed to give anymore. And I never gave to get ever again. I don't even think about, oh, I'm going to give this, so man, I'm going to be blessed. No, I'm, I'm, I was blessed so I can give. So the hindrance then in our lives is this mindset of always needing or being needy. That's the hindrance to everyone, thinking I need something and dwelling on that. And when you think you need something, then you say what? You don't have it, correct? So you, you are literally disagreeing with the Word of God. And have you ever heard of Thomas Aquinas? He, he was a really uh, famous, well-written uh, Catholic uh, saint. They made him a saint. And I used to have one of his books. I gave it away, but I read it. But Thomas tells us with uh, really clearness, he says, an act can be derived from charity. And you know what charity is? Love, right? So an act can be derived from love in one or two ways. And the first way is love, which is agape love, love without a cause, stimulates the act itself. And such a virtuous act requires no other virtue besides love. So I'm just giving because I love. That's it. So as in the case of loving the good, that will come to the receiver rejoicing in it. So if I love the good in people, then that's what I'm going to experience. If I, if I, if I see a person that's got a wonderful character and nature, or if they don't, I still I love the good in those people. Like I said, no child is bad. They just make wrong decisions. They do bad things. But I love the child. I think they're cute. And this little child I've followed, it's actually it's Kathy Walker's grandchild. And so I think their last name is Swift, but I, I follow them. So she's always putting her pictures and I've watched her grow from a baby to where she is now. And I hope it's a she. <laughs> it is a girl, but she's just beautiful. But now they're talking about how she does things bad or whatever. But I, that's why I wrote back. She's not bad. What you do is not who you are. And we've always identified with what we do. So we call people drug addicts. We call people prostitutes. We call people stupid. We, whatever it is, we have names for them, but that's not who they are. We just do stupid things, but I'm not stupid. So in a second way, an act proceeds from charity in the sense of being commanded by it. In other words, we believe that we are commanded to love. And if you're commanded to do something, you really don't want to, but you do it because you think you have to. That's not love. And what happens there in this manner, it causes, it costs a sense of lack and needs to give out of an appeasement because I'm told if I don't give, I won't get. If I don't follow these rules, right, then I'm going to suffer. And if I don't ask Jesus into my life, I'm going to go to hell. You know, so when I prepared this study, I thought of the greatest master comforter messenger there ever was. Who is that? 
It was Jesus, right? That's who he was. He was a comforter messenger. And he told his disciples that Father is going to send many, many more comforter messengers. But millions of people believe that Jesus was is God, not a man. I've heard people say that Jesus was God in a body. Well, we're God in a body too. Can't you see that? No, they don't know that. We're just sinners saved by grace. That's why they produced the Trinity doctrine, is to keep us down here and the Trinity doctrine up there. And they made Holy Spirit as a person, as a separate entity, and that's not true. We're all Holy Spirit. right? So there's no such thing as the Holy Spirit as a, as a separate entity. So there's God. God is one. God is spirit. And then there's sons and daughters, and Jesus is a, a son. Right? So they also think that they have to appease God and they're wrong. So if what they believe is true, why did Jesus not ask people to give to him? You ever thought about that? He never asked for anything. I called Kay Fairchild. I said, I don't have time to go through it. I know you know everything. I, I joke with her. But I just said, is there a place anywhere where Jesus asked for money, asked for food, asked for housing? No. In fact, the disciples came to him when he was ministering to the woman at the well. And they, he had been there for a while and they went to get some food. And they came back and they brought him some and said, you know, we've got food for you. And he said, I have meat that you know not of. Right? So he didn't ask. So if he was God all by himself and we believe God wants something from us, then why didn't Jesus ask for something from us? He did not. He did not. So the disciples uh, understood that somewhat, but I don't think they really understood it. So when he said this, what, what was his meat? What was his meat? Well, it was his inner source, just as we have. You can look like you have nothing and you have everything. You, I, I've told people before when I sewed, I, I sewed in the furniture industry, I sewed prearranged funerals. Don't judge people by the outside of them. And one of my greatest stories is I worked for Evans Furniture and uh, it was a cold wintry night and hardly anybody was coming in and we were the night shift so we didn't get off till nine o'clock and we were waiting probably 30 minutes to an hour for a customer to come in. So we have positions. We have this, uh, position one, position two. So position one gets the next customer. So I'm two, this guy's one and the door is quite a ways from us and in walks a uh, African-American woman that looked like she weighed over 300 pounds and a pink robe and pink house shoes with curlers in her hair. And he threw his book around and turned around and said, I'm going to go get a, bar, a candy bar. You take care of her. Because he just, he judged her. So I went up and greeted her and said, hi, you know, good to see you on this cold night. And how can I help you? And she said, I just bought a home and I need to furnish it. And I sold something like $26,000 worth of furniture. He, as we always joked with him about his $26,000 candy bar. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's a real, it's a true story. And it's how we see people. And how many times do we miss the opportunity to be a cherubim to somebody because we judge them? Yeah, from the, but we got to see them the way Father sees them. So spiritual bread is this consciousness of ideas that's manifested as manna. It's what we feed on. This consciousness, the ideas that God gives us. It's our inner source. In Jesus, it was the consciousness of ideas that manifested when he fed people, when he fed the thousands, if you would, or the hundreds, and about 5,000 people came to him. And so this true supply, this bread of life, caused him to be able to multiply what God had already created. He didn't create the fish. He didn't create the bread. Father did that, but he multiplied it. He knew that he didn't see a limited source. If, if it had been us, we would say, how can we feed them? We only have this and this, and we're going to eat it. <laughs> they can just go home, try to find something themselves. But Jesus knew who he was. He knew what the bread was. So the bread of life is the word of truth. And it imparts new vitality to enter into our soul to function out of who we are. Jesus had no needs. I don't know if I'm going to do this or not, 
But I was thinking for Christmas, it would really be good to teach who the wise men were and the kings and what they really gave to Jesus. Because I don't personally believe anymore that they gave him enough money to sustain his ministry because I believe Father sustained his ministry. You know, he told the disciples one time, I forget who it was, but they, the Pharisee says, does your master pay taxes or whatever? And he, he just uh, wrongly said yes before he talked to Jesus. But he went to Jesus and talked to Jesus and Jesus met him where he was at. And he said, go catch this fish. And you'll, well, if he had all the money he needed, why did he tell him to go catch the fish? If he had bags and bags of money, because I've heard it supplied all the disciples, all their families and everybody. But I believe Jesus being a source and knowing he was a source caused them to lack nothing. Whatever was needed, it was provided for that day. I believe that. Because if not, then we need some wise man to come and give us enough money to last the rest of our life. But the problem is, most people that win money, like lottery, they lose it all within a few years anyways. Because that's not your true supply. So... What did he do? He lived out of his spiritual resources. See what time it is. Ooh, I don't have much time. I may have to finish this next week. 10.56. So the, the Apostle Paul in Acts 20.23, uh, 20, it's recorded where he said, I have coveted no man's silver. I have coveted no man's gold or no man's apparel. And I haven't asked for anything. He has this understanding. You don't need to give to me. And in the next verse, he said, you know, my hands have ministered under my necessities and to them who are with me. So literally the apostle Paul was functioning out of his spiritual resources. Whatever was required was there. And he, I know he was a tent maker, but whatever it was, it just, it, he, if they had need, it just showed up in Paul's life. And I believe that very much. So Paul knew there was an endless supply for all people. And he tried to teach that himself. So the only money he received from others were bags of money to give to the community of believers, right? Because people say, well, wait a minute, they gave you money. It was to give to the people that needed it. He didn't need any money. And you don't need any money. Because it'll be there. Do I say we don't have to have money to function? Well, yeah, we do. We have to pay bills. But I don't need any money because it's there. And I don't really need any money to buy something because many times it shows up in my life on somebody's trash pile <laughs> or in a thrift store or whatever. Or somebody says, hey, I've got this. Would you like to have it? And, and it's it was really funny. I was thinking the other day, I'd like to have that. And it just shows up. And that my whole life has been that way. So the offerings and the tithe and all that came from Moses. It came from Abraham. Moses grew up in a very mythological society in Egypt. He was taught of all kinds of gods. You should study all the gods they had. They had cat gods. They had, you know, everything you can think of. And there was always a need to sacrifice to them. And same thing for Moses. He worshipped the moon god. He also worshipped Moloch. Then Moloch offered their children on the arms of that. So think about this. So where the heck did he get the idea that God wanted him to bring his son up to sacrifice him? From right there. It was not God. God did not say that. When you translate it, it just says, come up to the mountain, to this place. I'll show you which mountain to send to and bring your son. That's all it said. But Moses added to sacrifice and all that. And then a lot of the translations were wrong. But he wanted to say, Abraham, I mean, Abraham. He wanted to say, Abraham, I don't need you to sacrifice to me. But did he listen? No, because he went and found a ram and he did it himself. And I was taught that God provided that ram. And it's a picture of God providing Jesus. And it all fit, all sounded wonderful. But it was just a plot of the translators and the people that controlled them to produce penal substitution. So they could do what? Control us. Every system uses fear to control us. The financial system, the political, the religious, the, the medical, and the social all produces fear. You listen to radio, it's all about fear. I like listening to some of those guys on talk radio, but I turn them off pretty quick because it's about fear. If you don't go buy gold and you don't buy silver, you're not going to make it. You know, well, if I have some big old gold and nobody else has anything, what good is it going to be? How are you going to give me change? <laughs> 
And I always say, if it's that, if that, if it's that valuable and it's going to be that bad, why are you selling it? It's because they're making money right now on it. They charge you for that. So I say, and I'm going to use a word that's pretty strong, if I believe that I have to give something to produce happiness and to get what I, it's a damnable, selfish thing. And what I mean by damnable, it messes up your life. Living a life of, of giving to get is miserable. And you're never happy and you always feel guilty. There's a place here, let's see, I'm going to skip ahead here because I, I want to finish this last part and then we'll go. Okay, I, f I have an old dictionary uh, which, is, which names many idols. And the majority of those idols, again, they ask for sacrifice to them, like we talked about. So one might ask if there ever a place or time when a sacrifice might be good. And the answer is yes. That sacrifice is to sacrifice the need to appease Father. Let that go. Sacrifice your personal will, like Saul, and carnal intellect. Let that go. Sacrifice a belief system that's not true and it's not working. You have anything you believe that then you kind of still believe but it's not working? Then let it go because it's insanity. <laughs> then the same thing over and over and over. That's a definition of sanity and expecting different results. Abandoning old beliefs that seem suitable for new ideas and embrace the fact that you are a son of God today. You are a daughter of God today. There's nothing you need to do for Father to love you. There's nothing you need to do to be able to function as the house of God. Because we are the house of God. Jesus said, in my Father's house, there are many abodes. That's us. And if it were not true, I wouldn't have told you so. Father lives in us, with us, and through us. And, and uh, it's here, it's this place of sacrifice that these thoughts will begin to leave us. And it'll, it'll cause a spiritual energy and substance and, and offer, a constant offer, offering the sacrifice of praise. What is that? Talking about Father, who Father is. Like I did in bed the other night. I think I was, after I wrote this, I, was laying, I think I was sacrificing praise. I was just, lift, sacrifice sometimes just means to lift it up. And I began to speak of God and who God is and who I am because of God. And it was, it was flowing. I wish I'd had a recorder, but I, I, it, it, was, it was for me. But have you ever seen spirit in person? I have, many times, in people, in people. People say, I've never seen God. Well, open your eyes, God's everywhere. Father is in everything, Father is in his creation. When I sit on a rock and look over a cliff and I look at the beautiful trees, I see God. God's the greatest artist there ever was because everything's beautiful in its own way, right? So in closing, in Romans 12, Paul gave instructions to the church as to what their real need is. And he continues today and he says, I beseech you, therefore, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by Father's gracing with holy breath. In other words, Father graces with his breath. That's what grace means. He graces with his breath from the foundation that you present your bodies as the plural of Father. That's what that living sacrifice means. When you look it up, it means the plural of a noun. So present yourself as the plural of Father, which is who you are. Therefore, never conform to and live as those who live as mere human, but be transfigured by tuning into your renewing mind, which is your divine mind, that you might be accounted as and discern you are, discern you are blameless, you are well-pleasing, and you are complete, and you are purposed by your Father. Verse 3 says, For I say through the divine mind in me, Open to me, I instruct every person among you not to esteem yourself, uh, steam oneself excessively or be vain or arrogant because of your oneness with Father. In other words, when you know who you are, don't see yourself as better than somebody else. You must exercise your awareness of sound thinking and be in your right mind, which is your divine mind. You can do this because Father has appropriated the same share of truth to every person. Every person has the divine mind. Every person knows all things. Why do you think there's so much 
marvelous technology today. I told somebody the other day, they posted on Facebook, have you ever seen a, a God do a supernatural thing in your life? And he wanted us to post it. And I wrote on there, I didn't see it, but I was there because God raised me from the dead twice through people, through supernatural knowledge. Many years ago, if that had happened, I'd be gone. But they, super, they tapped into the supernatural knowledge of God, how to shock me and bring me back to life. And it took them a while to do it, but they did it. So the truth is what Jesus' ministry revealed to us all and what I'm consecrated to teach and explain to you and others. That's Paul talking. So we see a living sacrifice would be one who's still alive and lacking nothing. Still alive and lacking nothing because they live as who they are. They live as the plural of Father. And that's one of the things that we really need to meditate on, that I am the plural of Father. We are one, and as Father is, so am I. I'm not God all by myself. Father God is our source. There is a source. But I am as the source. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the source. So everyone is a high priest. Everyone exists as the temple of God. In us, Father lives and moves and has his being. And in him, we live and we move and have our being and we're in each other. So we come with courage. We come with boldness and we enter into being who we are. In the Hebrews, it says, let us boldly enter into the throne, being the throne room of God. Not go into some throne room somewhere, but being the throne room of God. We can boldly say that. You may not feel that way, but feelings lie to you. You may not feel holy. You may not feel what true righteousness is. You may not feel peace. You may not feel calm, Carl, sometimes. But the truth is you are calm. And we tap into that. And we allow that calmness to change our life. So we proclaim as Jesus did, the Father and I are one. And in oneness, there's no need for any sacrifice or appeasement. You can walk out of here today and realize I never, ever need to do another thing to satisfy God. Never. So in oneness, there's no need for any sacrifice. We do not have to prove anything to Father. We only need to wake up to who we are. Father is not changing you. He's waking you up to who you are, really are. Yes. Who you already are. Who you already are. So wake up and remember who you are. And I'll never forget, we had a sister in our church, Tree of Life Church, that uh, believed in giving to please God. And one day, there was a, a, they took up the offering. They brought it up to me because Donna took care of the books and everything. And there was five $100 bills in there. And uh, I thought, wow, what a blessing, you know. So a day later, a sister called me and said, did you get my money? Because she, she wanted her to know that I, me to know that I gave it. And I said, well, why did you give that? You need that, because she couldn't afford that. Why did you need that, give that? She said, because I wanted to prove to God that I love him. And I said, well, I'll be right over, or whatever. I forget where I went, but I brought that money back to her. And I said, you do not have to prove that to God. I said, you need this money, you go pay your bills. I said, God knows you love him, and God loves you too. Because I would not let people do that with that mindset. We never taught give to get back. But that's where most people are today. We need to help get them, help them get out of that. Amen? Amen? So I hope you enjoy this. We don't have to appease anyone. Father loves you eternally. Carita, that's right. One with Father, he and me, me and him. So God bless you. Have a wonderful weekend. We'll see you next week. Thank you. for.